heavily armored bull would be an unwise choice. Even two wolves would find it a struggle to bring one down. They're only a sixth the weight of an adult muskox. But a calf is a more achievable goal. isolate maneuver. The calf hasn't yet developed the defenses of a mature musk ox, and it's not much bigger than its attackers. It looks like the wolves and their cubs will eat well at last. the herd has other ideas. They charge the wolves. And form a defensive circle around the wounded calf. Now there's a ring of sharp horns for the wolves to contend with, which they don't even try to break through. Musk oxen have been observed forming these defensive circles around the elderly and sick, as well as their young. The wolves have expended a lot of energy on this attack and have nothing to show for it. Well, that was violent. Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you are here with us. But how about those musk oxen? Those things can weigh up to 800 pounds. But even those can become vulnerable to predators if they're isolated. I thought it was pretty interesting that those musk oxen, when they, when they saw that calf in danger... They circled around it. I mean, what would have happened if that calf didn't have those other musk oxen to circle around it? Or what would have happened if that calf and its mom were completely isolated and they weren't there? Well, they likely would have been seriously injured or died, and those wolves would have gotten a tasty dinner. But what we saw is those musk oxen, that herd, moving together as a group, doing life together as a group. And they're also sharing responsibility. They're sharing responsibility to care for and protect each other. And they're also willing to surround this one that is vulnerable and take on a couple of wolves, knowing, hey, there's a really good chance I might get bit right now. But they do that. They care for each other. They protect for each other. They, they are doing life in community. How many of you have a group like that? How many of you have a group like that where you are doing life together, where people are sharing, caring for each other? There's real community. 
last year we took a survey and we found out that 38% of our church is in a small group. 38% is saying, I want to be in a group like that where I can belong. I want to be in a group like that where I can be known and I can have care and community and people to walk alongside me and do life with me. Meaning 62% are saying, I think I can do it on my own. But what if you're wrong? Well, today we're going to talk about small groups. And at Bridgewater, small groups are our primary way of doing discipleship. Meaning, that's our primary way of helping people grow in their character. That's our primary way of helping people become more like Jesus. And this is one of the things that we see in the very beginning of the church. And so I want to show you that small groups is not just something that trendy churches do or cool churches do, but it's something that we see in the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. But let me tell you a little bit about Acts chapter 2 while you're turning there. You see, Jesus came, he died on the cross for all of our sins, and after he died, he rose again, and then before he leaves, he, he goes and he tells all of his disciples, hey, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go into all of the earth and tell people about who I am and what I did. And then they birth out this brand new thing called the church, and they begin meeting, and thousands of people begin to say, I also want to follow Jesus. I also want to commit my life to him. I also need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And that's this brand new thing called the church. So Acts chapter 2, I'll start reading in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number their number daily those who are being saved. So there's thousands of people who have all decided we want to follow Jesus. And they're a part of this brand new thing called the churches. So they're meeting in a big group, but they're also meeting in small groups. They're meeting in different homes, spending time with each other because they recognize, okay, the only way we can really help people, the only way we can really care for people and, and help them is by taking these thousands of people and just breaking them up into smaller groups and saying, okay, meet in these different homes. And it says that every single day, more people said, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus, and I want to ask Jesus to be my forgiver of my sins, and I want to ask Jesus to be my leader. And so it kept growing, it kept growing. It said, okay, we need more groups, and we need more groups, and we need more groups. And so we see this, that this is what the Bible is talking about. That the primary way of, of helping people grow and mature in their faith is small groups. And so the first thing I want to challenge you to do is that you would join a group of people moving together to become more like Jesus. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. That there's thousands of people and they all want to become more like Jesus. And what they do in the very beginning is they all join a group of people. They join a small group that is going to be moving together. That's where we see authentic community. That's where we see care. That's where we see discipleship. 
That's where we see soul care happening. That there is a group of people helping them navigate their way through life. That they are connected together. And so that's what we see small groups being. Small groups are the primary means of making better disciples. That we're a church about making more and better disciples, disciples being followers of Jesus. That we want to see people here in Broome County. We want to see their lives radically transformed for Jesus. But it's not just about this one-time decision. We want to see you grow and mature in your faith. And we want to see your character develop. And so how do we do that? The primary means is really about being in a small group. Finding a group of people that are like-minded, that also want to grow in their faith. That they can surround you and help you think through, navigate those decisions. And when things happen in your life, when you find yourself in one of those challenging situations or your life just kind of blows up, and it might, that there is a group of people that will walk alongside you and help you with that. And that's what we see here. In small groups, this is, they're really messy. But I see a messy church and a messy group as really an indicator that it's healthy. A lot of people, they think a healthy church is filled with all sorts of neat and clean people with everything that is nice and tidy, and they've got everything squared away. I think it's actually the opposite, that if we're going to be a healthy church, it's going to be a church filled with messy people because you and I, we don't have everything figured out. My life is not perfect. I don't have everything straight and clean and organized, all right? And the reality is, if we continue to reach people who are far from God, they're going to come into our church, and they're going to come with stories. They're going to come with all sorts of things going on in the background. They're going to come with baggage. They're going to come with issues and problems and challenges, and life is going to be messy, and I believe that the healthier we are, the messier it will be. And so that means that our small groups will be messy. That would be an indicator that we're doing something right. And you know, in every group, there's always going to be like that one person that is going to drive everybody crazy. And you're probably here thinking, no, not us. That means you are the person. Every single group has that person, but that's okay. That small groups will be messy. Christianity is messy. It's not always perfect. It's not filled with everybody. It's not always this organized discipleship. Okay, I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus. Check. Okay, I'm going to get baptized. Check. Okay, I'm going to start serving. Check. Okay, I'm going to go to the starting point class. Check. Okay, I'm going to go to the discovery class. Check. Okay, now I've graduated. No, you and I will never graduate from community. This is something that has been happening from the very beginning of the church. And it's organic, meaning it's not fabricated. It's something where it's, it's life on life, that you and I will never graduate from that. We will always need to be surrounded by people who are going to help us, care for us, that we can provide care and help for. That's life on life discipleship. And I want you to see 
what that looks like. So slide over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We see this playing out. Verse 32. It says, All of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's incredible. That this is a picture of a church. Remember, thousands of people, and it says that they were all, they were all unified. I mean, we, we don't even see that within our own church where we're all unified on everything. But God was working in such an amazing way that they were all of one mind and one heart. They were all unified. The Greek literally says everything was in common with them. And they were sharing everything. This isn't communism. What they had recognized is that everything they had actually belonged to God. That the resources they had, the abilities they had, the talents they had, the money they had, the things they had, it didn't really belong to them. It all belonged to God. And so if, if God has given me the ability to earn income, or he has given me possessions or things or stuff or abilities and talents they really belong to God, and I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward of those things. And so if I see somebody in need, and we happen to have two cars, and somebody else needs a car because their car is in the shop, then we should say, you know what? Hey, God has given me two cars, and they actually belong to him. So if you need it, hey, borrow it. When your car gets fixed, and give it back. Hey, there's, there's a need. You're behind on some bills, and God has given me the ability to earn income, and I've been able to save a, a few extra dollars. Let me use some of God's money to help you. And that's what they're doing. And sometimes they don't have the money, and so they say, okay, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my property. I'm going to sell my stuff because it ultimately belongs to who? It's God's stuff. It's God's money. And they were a group of people that were really living in community. They were doing life together, moving together, following after Jesus together. It's crazy. But people treated their possessions as if they didn't really belong to anybody in general, but just like, it belongs to God. If you need it, it's yours. So join a group of people that are moving together to become more like Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 4, we see that there was 5,000 men in the church, not including women or children. So again, this is a massive group of people. How do you care and help for that many people? They were in a small group. They were in a house group, doing
doing life together. Verse 33 says they continued to talk about Jesus. They shared spiritually with each other, helping each other spiritually to care for them, to help them. And when things happened in their life, this was the group that came alongside them. And it says that there's no needy person, meaning that it wasn't that there weren't any needs. It was that they were taking care of them. Think about that. Who would you be willing to sell your car for to help out? If you own a home, who would you be willing to sell that house for to help out? Or your stuff, your phone, your iPad, your hundred pairs of Nike Air Jordans. Like, like who's going to make that list? It's probably going to be a very short list. It's probably going to be your immediate family, like your parents or your kids or maybe a sibling. But this was their community. They really loved their community so much that they said, hey, if you have a need going on, if there's something happening, we're going to take care of you. We're going to help you. We're going to come alongside you, help you out financially. And so this sharing is like a, it's a countercultural thing. I mean, I have five kids, and if somebody, one of the first things, we didn't have to teach them this at all, right? But when someone grabs something, a toy from one of my kids, the word that comes out of their mouth is mine, right? We didn't have to teach them that at all. Sharing is not something that we do naturally. And here we see it happening. It's organic. And chaos and mayhem has entered into these people's lives. Because you don't sell your home and your property and start liquidating things because someone has an overdue parking ticket. Like there must have been some major needs that were coming up where they had to sell some big ticket items to help out. Chaos, mayhem, all sorts of craziness has happened. Have you ever seen those, those mayhem commercials for the Allstate? I think they're the funniest commercials ever. I want to show you one of them. Here's the mayhem commercial. I'm the latest hashtag challenge, and everyone on social media is trying me. I'm trending so hard that hashtag common sense can't keep up. This is going to get tens and tens of views. But if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, you could be left to pay for this yourself. Get Allstate and be better protected from mayhem for a whole lot less. We have seen mayhem in people's lives. And small groups have been the answer. We have seen people's lives just completely unravel. And those groups have come alongside them. See, the reality is you want insurance before mayhem happens. You want car insurance before you actually need it, or insurance on your boat, or your home, or your health, right, before you actually need it. No one wants to pull out of the parking lot uninsured, then get into a car accident, call Allstate, and be like, hey, I need insurance to start yesterday. <laughs> like, you need insurance before it happens, and that's what small groups are. It's a place where you can find community. 
It's a place where you can belong. It's a place where you can be known. It's a place where that, a group of people can come alongside you, circle around you, and help you out and help you grow. And it's a place where you can also help other people grow. And so mayhem is coming. Acts 4, there is some kind of mayhem happening. There's chaos. People's lives are unraveling. And we see them coming up and against these major needs, figuring it out. They're doing life together. They're helping each other grow. And their lives are being transformed. I would imagine that would probably have a huge impact on who they are as a person, but also it would transform their character. Think about when last time your life was radically changed for the better, the last time you grew as a person, the last time your character developed, who played a role in that? You see, one of the things I've noticed is that every time your character has grown, someone else was involved. That's true of me, and that's probably true of you. That every single time you have gone through an experience or someone has, you've processed a life event and your character has grown or developed, it's because somebody else came alongside you and they were involved. They helped you. We need people in our lives. In verse 36 and verse 37, we see this guy named Barnabas actually doing that. His name means son of encouragement, and he's selling his property. He's bringing that money at the feet of the apostles. I'm not saying that you ought to go home and sell and liquidate everything and bring the money and drop it at my feet. Please don't do that. But that's what we see in scripture, that these people love each other. They're caring for each other so much. They're saying, hey, if you need this, it's yours. You're in, hell, you're, you're in need of something. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give away the money, and let's come alongside you. They're sharing with others. And we see Barnabas sharing with others. And so the second thing I think we need to do is we need to share with others. We need to let others share with us. And I'll be the first one to acknowledge. I'm terrible at letting other people help me. I'm really bad at asking anyone for help because honestly, I just want to figure it out myself. I want to struggle through it, and I am prideful, and I want to say, look, look at what I did. I figured it out. I did it. I pulled myself up all on my own. I didn't need any help. But the reality is I need people in my life. I need help. I need people to speak into my life, not just to help me with projects, but I, I rely on people to share wisdom and counsel, help me be a better parent, help me to be a better pastor, help me to be a better friend, and to speak into my life because I have blind spots. I don't always see everything that's going on in my life, but I struggle to ask for help. The reality is we need to share with others, and we need to let others share with you. And so Small groups, I really believe small groups are effective discipleship. And that's why we see, when we see people getting baptized, so many times when they're getting baptized, you know who's up there? It's the people who have played a profound impact in their lives. A few weeks ago, Star got baptized. And Reed was up here helping because Reed and Jill lead a small group. 
and Star and her husband Fred are in their small group. That's why Reed was up here helping with the baptism. That's why Jill was standing next to Star reading her story. Because those are the people who play a significant role. Time after time, I hear people are being changed. Their lives are being transformed. Not because of my sermons, but because of small groups. These are effective, and we see people's lives being drastically changed because of them. You need to be in a small group. And we need mature Christians and new Christians all to be in the small groups together. That's the only way that it works. I want to show you this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That if you're a follower of Christ, Paul is saying, we need to come alongside people, encourage, comfort, and urge. That maybe this week you need to go and put your arm around somebody and you need to encourage them. And you need to say, hey, keep on going. You're doing great. I'm cheering for you. I'm rooting for you. I'm praying for you. Keep it up. Or maybe this week you need to put your arm around someone and you need to offer comfort. And you need to say, I am, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. How, how can I help? I'm praying for you. Or maybe this week you need to put your arm around somebody and you need to urge them and you say, look, this is what God is calling you to do. This is the right thing to do. You need to do this. That's what small groups does. We have people in our lives who are coming alongside us. And they're encouraging, comforting, and urging us. Maybe not all at the same time. But when you need encouragement, that's the place you'll get it. When you need comfort, that's the place you get it. And when you need someone to urge you and spur you on to do the right thing, those are the people that will be in your life who will say, look, you need to do this. You need to take that next step. You need to be bold. You need to walk by faith here. Paul is laying out, here's what it looks like. Encourage, comfort, and urge. I'm going to tell you, my experience with small groups. Before we came here, we were in a church, and about two years into that church, I was, I was the student pastor. I was doing student ministry, and I had been working with junior high and high school students for like 14 years. And about two years into that church, I realized we were pretty isolated. My family and I hadn't made a lot of connections. In fact, we were just all consumed, engulfed with junior hires and high school students. And we knew the parents and we knew the youth leaders and we worked with our youth leaders and we would see our youth leaders on Wednesday nights, but it was always in the context of student ministry. We didn't have a lot of connections. And it was around that time that I also noticed that there were several families that had left our church. And as we talked to them after they had left, they said one of two things. One, they had a hard time figuring out how to apply the sermons to their lives. They didn't know, okay, this is what you said, and this is what I need to do. They couldn't make those connections, and we weren't 
helping them. The second thing we heard over and over and over again was, this church is so hard to break into. And we felt that way. And as a pastor, surrounded by people, I felt isolated. I didn't feel known by anybody. And so my friend Tom and I, we decided, okay, we're going to start a small group for young couples. We started inviting people to this small group. We started meeting Sunday nights. It wasn't a Bible study. Nobody was teaching anything. We would just talk about the sermon. We would just ask some questions, some general questions, some specific questions. We would eat some food together, and then we would break up. Guys would meet with guys and pray. Ladies would meet with ladies and pray. And that became our community, that we were surrounded by people who loved God, but we began to do life together. And that's where we found community. You need to be in a group like that. I will never outgrow my need for community. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. Sin, like those wolves going into that group of musk oxen, is trying to divide, isolate, and split, and pull you away from your community. And sin wants to keep you isolated and in the darkness. Pride in sin says, I can do this on my own. I don't need a group of people. I can just be by myself. I don't really need that kind of group all up in my business. But the Bible would say we really do need to be surrounded by community. That if you want to grow in your character, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want people to come alongside you and love you for who you are, you need to find a group of people who are like-minded that can surround you and help you navigate your way through life. That we need people in our lives just like we saw the musk oxen video, isolation can happen to anybody. So what? Well, I really believe that God never intended you to triumph alone. So if you haven't signed up for a group, you need to go back to that table and sign up for a group. That there are groups, and if those lists are filling up, and you're like, I don't know if this, if this is gonna be too big of a group, if those groups need to multiply, we will. And so if that day and that time works for you, sign up anyways. We will figure it out. We want you in a group. And if you're here today and you've already signed up, you're already in a group, then the thing is for you is, okay, you need to invite somebody to a group. The question for you is, who do I need to invite into my group? Who haven't I seen in a long time that I need to call or text this week? Who is not in a group that I need to call on and say, hey, Come to my group. I'm going to sign you up. So what's your next step? If you're here this morning and you're not in a group, you need to be one. You need to be in a group. If you're already in a group, you need to invite somebody into one of those groups.
Because the reality is, we all need community. And listen, the goal is not to fill up those sign-up sheets. That's not the goal. The goal is we want to see real community take place here. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we are amazed by your grace. We're thankful for your word and um, recognize that life comes with all sorts of challenges. Recognize also that being in a group can kind of be scary. It can be overwhelming. It can be daunting to think, I'm going to be in a group of people and start sharing with them and talking about what's going on in my life. And I don't know if I want to meet new people. I don't know if I want to get out of my comfort zone. Today, I ask that you would help us to be courageous, to be bold, to get into a group, or to invite somebody into a group. Whatever our next step is, I ask that you would help that to become clear to us, that we would live our lives in a way that would honor you, that would be helpful and encouraging to others, that we would be a group of people moving together to become more like Jesus, that we would share with each other and invite others to share with us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.